0: It's been more than a year since the last episode of It's Complicated's podcast was released, and a lot has happened. It's Complicated went from being the passion project of myself, a Danish psychologist, and Jakob, a Swedish psychoanalyst, to being a serious company of 10 people, supporting people in finding their ideal therapists among the more than 2,000 mental health professionals we have on the platform. It was due to all of this activity and the fact that I got really bummed out that the last interview I did was deleted before I could edit and publish it, that I had a hiatus of 15 months. But I'm back now. And while I'll still be talking with therapists, I'll do so with a slightly different focus. This time, I want to explore the work they do and how this might be compelling to all of you psychologically curious people out there. To kick it off, I've invited my friend and colleague, the wonderful Katharina Albrecht, to talk about therapy in these unprecedented times.
1: I'm really glad that there's actually a you know a conversation that's starting here. And so for those who don't know me, I am a sex and relationship therapist primarily, and I work both online but also in person. And and I work with couples and individuals. I also have a degree, postgraduate degree in refugee care. There's a kind of interest definitely in these, you know, also not just being a therapist but also thinking about how to be a therapist in these times that are changing and evolving and how to kind of administer care at different levels. So whilst I, you know, I don't so I actively work with refugees yes. these days, but I still am very much a sort of thinker <laughs> in the field. And also, since we last spoke, I had a real sort of passion and desire to to work with clients in a more embodied way, to incorporate the body a bit more because yeah. I felt that a lot of people that I work with are sort of describing, feeling cut off from their bodies and feeling overwhelmed in their nervous system and finding it difficult to regulate their nervous systems which also then of course you know has a big impact on one's relational health and how people express themselves sexually when you're kind of stuck on on or right. stuck on off all the time and 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 so i started a training in somatic experiencing which is very much a kind of trauma body sensation focused approach and it's just really absolutely transforming my my work I can really see how in the room people are kind of you know they're moving ahead in their in their processes and journeys like they haven't in you know all this time. So I think there's a, just to be able to mix kind of talk therapy with also being able to access the body and learning the language of the body. So we said a lot
0: of breathing techniques or or what are the concrete tools that you're Mm -hmm. gaining from this training? Yes, it's not so much breathing, it's more sensation
1: tracking. So there's the idea that, you know, our nervous Mm -hmm. systems, they can handle a certain amount of of stressors, but when they become overwhelmed stuff gets stored in the body and this is a way to actually kind of access that right. and then also complete being able to complete the stress cycle so that people can quite literally move on from things that sometimes they've been carrying around with them for years and so it's not so much kind of practically telling people to do anything differently because I think we've all we are all already are doing all these things but but this is more to complete these
0: cycles that have been where people feel stuck I was just reminded of the uh, of the saying when you name it you tame it and yeah may- maybe there's part of somatic experiencing training also really, Going deep on that, like going into the nitty-gritty of how to really assist people in in labeling what I hear is there's a kind
1: of intelligence in knowing and naming it. and and so people can people can really, you know, learn a kind of intelligent way with their bodies. And I think especially in these unprecedented times, it is such a great tool to be able to do that because there's a resilience that comes with it. Like, you know, nervous systems, they go up and get activated all the time, but then they're supposed to also regulate, down-regulate. And when we don't do that, you know, it's sort of what happens in the outside world becomes so much more kind of important when we can't, you know, know where we are in relation to it.
0: That's great, but but let me ask you, when, when, when you think about like the therapist's positioning, can that also be translated to just any like care worker, volunteer, you know, someone in a helping profession? I I think you know in the last talk that we
1: had, it was very much about just you know how can how can just the world become more therapeutically minded? Not, you know, not not just how everyone needs to be a therapist, but can there be a way for any person? And that's always like, you know, my big idea, but to, to kind of feel that they can respond rather than react. And, you know, what are potential tools that they might benefit from having or well, be curious learning about and so i think in this particular situation i was i was quite curious about you know where therapists position themselves um in these unprecedented times or in these sort of major life events that are going on and that seem to you know increase <laughs> we've got climate change we had a pandemic we you know have got wars going on and so on. and I've just had people come in and be outraged and be sort of find themselves in conflict with lots of not so much their friends and their immediate social group but with with a wider society as a as a whole and and, and really struggling to find their place in it and really not not sure what what is okay to say and what isn't, and also I felt the as a therapist, you know, kind of I felt a bit pushed to also position myself that people were in in the uncertainty and in the insecurity that they felt really seemed to be sort of you know longing for wanting a response. You know, what do I think?
0: Right. Did they ask you
1: directly? Yeah, exactly. So I was, I was, I, there were a couple of times in that week where, and it's actually people, you know, who've never asked me anything really before. But it was also then the question about, you know, me being German and what does that mean. So I just felt, you know, it, it, it sort of for me just started a conversation or a dialogue in my head about where therapists kind of historically were. And I mean, in a sense, you know, we still are I still see myself as a person who does not directly respond to these questions. But it but I want to think about it and I want to think about it in a holistic, useful way and and, and, and use it for the process. And and therefore it's it just triggered this curiosity to reflect on it because i think that's what we can do this is something we can all do and perhaps the only thing um we can do is to reflect on these things and to ask so, ourselves these questions so that's yeah sort of a very long answer to your question of what you know what did
0: i have in mind yeah so you've been reflecting also on the therapeutical space like in yeah in it's traditional context, and it's historical, yes, and it's 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 even you know,
1: I can see i so I did my a part of my training in the u k in London at the Tavistock at the Tavistock center and and that's a more psychodynamic psychoanalytic minded institute. and and I can see how, you know, really, I think in the, in the very more traditional psychoanalytic way of, of working, the relationship was very much between the patient and the therapist and the whole work seemed to just revolve around that, you know, the the sort of transference and counter-transference, the projections and, and the, working with the unconscious and so on, and... just, if I think about it, like people would be in psychoanalysis five days a week and they really wouldn't have much of the external representations of their external life wouldn't factor into the therapeutic work. So it was as if, I mean, I remember, for example, clients when I was there, which is not even that long ago, it's like 10 years ago clients being advised who were in psychoanalysis to not enter into a romantic relationship because they were in a relationship of sorts with their therapist. And and so it was really that, you know, people would kind of say, you know, if someone missed the bus, um, it would be about the relationship between the therapist and the and the client that maybe they were avoiding
0: perhaps showing up for the session or something so imbuing every single external happening with psychoanalytical yes, personal yes. And intentional meaning and it meaning, just it might have way. been that
1: yeah. this is a single mother so there was definitely something where it it would isolate the person from its socioeconomic or cultural context and take it out was only kind of available to certain people. So in that sense it was actually quite political. How the therapist yeah. would be more of a blank slate um in that view. And of course the therapist has a, an embodiment and yeah. an internal representation of what's going on. But I but it wasn't worked with in, in the same way that it is now perhaps but I but I do think that like I'm very very grateful and very happy that I that I did have that very sorrow psychoanalytic education because a it was fascinating and and b it sort of trained my muscle you know I was quite young really when I was doing my undergraduate and it really trained me to think in a certain analytical way that yeah is it's like a kind of classical musician training
0: or something, you know, you, you, you've you got that. But tell me more, like, what is that? What is that muscle? Like, is it the muscle of, like, imbuing things with a useful type of meaning that can... Yeah, what is that muscle? Or like, is it a muscle of, 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 of really bearing on mm-hmm. self-awareness I think it's and-
1: it's something of of a point of view of it and and i don't mean so much an intell- intellectual one but it's a it's a way of being with the client in the space and really attuning you know tuning into what you see in the immediacy what you see between you know what happens right now but then you get these sort of Senses of, you know, something is happening in my body, or I'm having a very strong reaction, and to 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 then think, you know, is this is this something that's happening in the present, or is there, or or is it something that's old, and so you kind of, it's 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 a certain way, I suppose, of 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 joining of joining the the, right. the client and and being able to put it in into a kind of developmental context or you know link it to moments of the biography in yeah. in, in the client's biography which I find really so fascinating and especially obviously working with cupboards you know yeah. to see what might be reenacted in in that space so I think it's a it's a certain way of seeing yeah. and it's, a, it's just a way of going a bit deeper so I do think you know having just yeah. said it was limited <laughs> I, I do think that there's in a in a good psychoanalytic training you've really got everything because there are certain mistakes a psychoanalyst will not do because of how much they work with themselves and their
0: own projections and so on do you think then it that it is due to this psychoanalytical training that you are able to resist responding directly to you know these these questions that you've been asked in, in in the past weeks for instance about your political positioning because you you've briefly mentioned that you actually do consider yourself as someone who you know does not respond directly mm. but, but mm. that's yeah I don't know if I'd uh, I'd be able to, and maybe that's due to my lack of training. It is quite confronting when it happens. It's quite
1: because most people are very shy with their therapists, and it's also a huge sort of sign of trust when someone says, "I want to know what you think," especially somebody who hasn't, you know, really hasn't gone there. So it's really something I don't want to shut down at all. And, you know, not to give the feeling that's too much. So there's a kind of stance to take where it's to demonstrate rather than say, um, because it's at the tip of my tongue to say, I'm not, you know, I'm German, but I'm not <laughs> you know, like other Germans who are really misbehaving themselves and I'm I'm equally ashamed, you know, and I equally devastated. That's about me. That's my ego. There's, you know, that part of me that wants to make it about me. Yeah. There's a part of the client perhaps that would quite like it about me, rather than being it being about them. That's the psychoanalytic thing that I'm not, you know, trying to to act out on. But there's a way, you know, where the moment I think we as therapists start to talk about ourselves, it is no longer about them. And that might be a role they are unconsciously giving us or trying to give us. But it's also very much, you know, my responsibility the moment it becomes about me. It's as if this space to talk, the space to fear, the space to be, isn't there anymore for the person who needs it so I'm very conscious of it so you know it's like you know when people say to be kind isn't always nice and what seems like the nice thing to do would be to say yes isn't it isn't it just horrible and but the kind thing actually is to keep in mind all of these things and to just really to really not take this space away from the person, because the moment it becomes about it is about my political views, that's what the person will be thinking about rather than being left also with perhaps an uncomfortable feeling and a feeling that's very difficult to digest. Yeah. Which is, you know, I feel somewhat lost, and that's a an important feeling to have nonetheless. You know, even if it's hard
0: and. And so, but and is it completely possible? I mean, like, can therapists maintain their neutrality mm, while still providing? Support? Well, I think you know we are
1: people, and there are certain things that there are certain situations, I suppose, without being able to necessarily name them now, where I would, you know, perhaps really clearly demonstrate that I'm not neutral about it but yeah but it is you know we during the pandemic there were a lot of people who were anti-vax and the, the, you know i think it's a very understandable and relatable question to say you know i would rather work with a ther- therapist who is vaccinated or you know and and so i think it's it's sort of pretending to be neutral would be dishonest but i can i can use internally my positionings um, in order to kind of to work with it rather than to shut things down which I think links to you know the question of how to be a therapist in unprecedented times is working with it whatever comes up
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and would you say that I mean the way that the therapeutic space, the way that therapy has evolved, also helps you integrate these more societal, or let's even call mm-hmm. them like cultural mm-hmm. aspects, socioeconomic aspects and into treatment. Yes, I
1: think you know, when I kind of do an assessment with someone, I would now take into account it's a very more systemic almost approach that these, these things. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, you being more into CBT, there's also the sort of external condition um, you know, and a frame that we exist in. Yeah. And so I think there's a real, there is a way to work quite dynamically with those things, you know, that, that, that are part of a person's reality. You know, whilst maybe if somebody shows up late. Every time I, I might make that, you know, I might analyze that. But I also have an understanding that there are very real and concrete, you know, uh, reasons for, for for certain things happening. And, and so I have a, you know, I try to really hold in mind the place
0: and time that we live in. We've spoken up until now about um, like the therapist's positioning and how the to- how therapy has evolved, how the therapeutic space has evolved, but but what about mm-hmm.
1: like the role of clients? I was thinking about that recently. That you know, when I was training in London and I was seeing clients as a as a trainee, we had certain you know people working with couples. People would come in and um, and maybe there was an affair or. Or something, and you know, seeking support in how to how to work through this. Whereas these days, people just really seem incredibly informed, and incredibly educated, and knowledgeable. Because I work so I work with attachment theory a lot, and also you know, supporting clients in polyamorous relationships and open relationships, and all these different sort of constellations and 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 relationship dynamics and and i find that you know often people come in having read all the literature that 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 i've been reading you know and and just seem sort of very very informed and they're very much sort of autonomous agents in 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 their own healing journey which i think is a really great thing that people generally seem to be you know and i and i'm, I'm not necessarily sure if that's a representation of society as a whole but very much in this bubble that i you know for better or worse exist in people people seem to really kind of want to actively play a part in the in their healing process, which is which is really refreshing. And then at the same time, you know, I think there's a kind of other side to this. So what my clients these days do not struggle with seemingly is getting the information. But what they seem to struggle with after all is how to unlearn certain things and how to be comfortable with the not knowing. And I can really see that, you know, in the with a world that seems to be sort of, you know, <laughs> falling apart in some ways, that that the position of not knowing can be a very difficult one. So nobody has a really kind of a, you know, an answer. But but I but I think there's something about surrendering to the therapeutic process and putting your trust in a therapist, which is also very important part to 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 become you know and I can do I can do certain things to to support clients and getting there to actually unlearn and trust and be in the space there's this line that we have a mutual friend who also works at the practice Um, he said something in one of his podcasts about psychological wholeness not being able to protect you from the world and I think about this all the time it's really i, I haven't told him that actually but now he knows because I, I really just think that there's you know it kind of so nicely illustrates also the limits of of therapy and that we can we can work on ourselves but also there's a there's a certain kind of existential thing going on where where perhaps it's not all that important and we don't have to constantly brace ourselves, but but to be in our full humanity is actually a great power
0: um, in these times. So-, so that then is the perfect way to end this really fulfilling conversation. The majority of our relationship is just jumping online to talk about really deep and Mm. existential topics. Thank you so much for all of your input in this. This has really actually been great. So thank you listeners for tuning into our It's Complicated podcast, Therapy Talk, with yours truly, Johanna, this time in conversation with sex and couples counselor, Katharina, about the potential of therapy in a world that triggers outrage and confusion and dysregulated nervous systems. I found it really interesting hearing Catalina talk about how she supports people in almost completing stress responses on a somatic level to release these overwhelming experiences that may be stuck in the body, and how she encouraged people to bring their raw, authentic selves to the consulting space, to surrender fully to the process, so to speak. This seems especially important when these unprecedented times are asking of us to always be on guard and in control. I will be back in some weeks with an episode where I'll be in conversation with a therapist, Rebecca Lehman, who specializes in secondary trauma and compassion fatigue. Until then, remember you can find out more about Katerina and all of the other It's Complicated Therapists on www complicated dot life.